We are in Ecclesiastes, if you're new. Um, Turn there. We just started it last week. We looked at kind of the the thrust of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at chapter two this morning, and chapter two is all about pleasure. But I need to tell you something from chapter one, the context, so that you can understand why Solomon heads for pleasure in chapter two, okay? So chapter two, brilliant, uh, totally brilliant, but it has a purpose, it fills a role. That's why I believe reading through the Bible is so important. Not just grabbing a little section here and there, but reading the whole story because the, the Bible's written in a way to be understood, all right? So in chapter one, here's what Solomon does. Look at chapter one, verse 12. I, the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. And it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that's done under the sun and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind." Okay, to fill you in, Solomon, very smart guy. He decides to go on a quest to look at life under the sun. That's a way of saying, I'm gonna look at life as if God does not exist. Purely naturalistic, scientific method. I gotta taste it, I've gotta touch it, I've gotta see it, I've gotta feel it. It's purely naturalistic. I'm going to look at life as if there's no God. And he begins by saying, I'm going to evaluate it from a wisdom standpoint, chapter one, right? So he's not going to do chapter two pleasure because he's lazy or he's a slacker or his dad didn't hug him enough. He's doing that because of what happened in chapter one, right? So in chapter one, he's Bill Gates. He's going for it. He goes to college, gets his PhD in philosophy, right? He's the smartest guy. He's got a 4.2 with extra credit. He's the guy that when there's group projects, everyone's like, Solomon, bro, on my team, please. Because he's gonna kill it, right? That's Solomon, absolutely brilliant. Gets his PhD in wisdom philosophy. And at the end of all that learning, here's what he says. It's vanity, like trying to catch the wind. You ever try to catch the wind? Doesn't work, does it? It's like trying to put a two-year-old to bed. I call them slinkies. Right, you put them in bed and they just go ching, 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 right back down the steps. You're like, what are you doing up? And they're, they're sitting there like trying to ask you a question, like figure out why they are actually up without getting in trouble. They're like looking around. Well, I had to come down here and um, I had to see if, I was afraid the refrigerator was open. It's not open, go to bed, right? So it's frustrating like that. You're just like, oh. So he gets that. He gets wisdom and it's like, oh, put in a tree to the bread. Come on. Doesn't work. Now it's out of that, out of that frustration, wisdom does not work, he goes to chapter two. So look at chapter two, verse one. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. Okay, step two. I did the wisdom, PhD, university thing, I was wise, I did all that, I tried to find out everything I could, I asked all the questions I could, right? I did all that. And then after that, because it was like chasing the wind, step two was, all right, 
Let's go get smashed. Step two, that's what he says. I'm gonna go get drunk. Do you know people like that? Like they seem to be wise people and they've lived wisely for 35, 40, 45, 50 years. You're like, man, you seem like a together guy. You seem like you're wise. You seem like you're doing it well. And then all of a sudden they just go, what in the world happened to you? Maybe it's like Solomon. They lived a wise life and they tried it without God. And at the end of it, it was just like, why bother? And so they go the other way. It reminds me of Jeff Bezos this last week, right? Like, dude, what, you seem like a wise guy. You started a company that's one of the most powerful companies on earth. What in the world are you thinking, man? You're crazy. You're gonna lose $77 billion. That's crazy to me. But people do that. This didn't make it, whatever. So now I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go for pleasure. Now look what he does. Number three, or verse three, excuse me. So I'm gonna test myself. Number one, he does this. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. He seeks pleasure, number one, in what I call an altered state. I'm getting drunk. Wisdom didn't do it. I'm getting drunk. So he is the guy on Saturday. He's on the Applegate Valley wine trail. He's sampling it all. And at the end of the day, he's like, drop me off at the Wonder Blur for a nightcap. <laughs> Let's get drunk, man. So he goes there. And then number two, verse four. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So altered state, he tries to get pleasure from that. Doesn't find it's there. So now he goes achievement. Okay, I'm going large then. I'm gonna build me a big house. It's lifestyles of the rich and famous if you're my age. If you're a little younger, it's MTV Cribs. If you're an infant, it's Bravo's million dollar listings, right? He's that. I'm going to build big now. And the Bible tells us this. He worked on his house for 13 years. Imagine that. You might be saying, I don't have to imagine it, man. My buddy worked on his house for 13 years. Solomon's a little different. He wasn't fixing up a single wide in Merlin, okay? <laughs> he had 10,000 people working on his house for 13 years. How big could you build then? All right, I've been to Israel a couple of times. His stables that he kept his horses in, you can still see the foundation stones. That's how 3,000 years are still there. The giant stones that are underneath and held up the temple mount, still there to this day. Like he built at a level. He changed the ecology by the forest and the Lakes he dug, I mean, just unbelievable. He's like, if, if, achieve, if, if just achieving something is the way to go, I'm gonna do it big. Giant houses, forests, lakes. I'm doing it big. So altered state achievement. Next one is acquisition. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, the delight of the sons of man. Acquisition. He's a hoarder, but he's not hoarding junk. Gold, diamonds, celebrity singers, right? He buys Sony music. Selena Gomez, you're playing at my house from now on. I own you. 
Like he is that level of a guy. And then lastly, verse nine, so I became great. Yeah, you're great when you've got a giant house and all this money, people just woo, and surpassed all who were before me. My wisdom remained in me. And here's the key, verse 10, whatever my eyes desire, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Men, what's the desire of the eye of a man? It's a lady, right? Did Solomon know about ladies? 700 wives, 300 concubines. That's a thousand women. Have you ever just sat and thought about that for a minute? Like a thousand women. Whoa. I mean, what is his shoe bill every month? Amazon's just coming in, dropping pallets, man. Just flying them in, dropping pallets on his gardens. Like, it's unbelievable. Like a thousand women, you gotta remember all their names. I guarantee this happened to Solomon. He's like strolling in his gardens or whatever. And there's some ladies like, wow, she's attractive. Saunters over to her, hey, what's your name? And she slaps him, I'm your wife. Ooh, sorry. <laughs> every day, he'd have three birthdays and three anniversaries every day of the year. That's insanity. Just trying to write the cards. Like, what do you say over, man, <laughs> I hire someone just to write my cards. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy, right? Solomon goes large. Now, let's remember why he does it. Right, back to verse three, he says this. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Why does he do that? Is he an alcoholic? Does dad not hug him enough? Is he miserable? No, remember chapter one. Because in chapter one, he had sought for the big answers of life. Why am I here? What's my purpose? What am I for, right? Why is there something instead of nothing? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, why is there a universe instead of no universe? Why is there planet earth instead of no planet earth? Like, those are massive questions. Where do you go when you die? Like, those are huge questions. And he'd asked all those with a naturalistic, under the sun mentality. And what he had discovered with that mentality is, there's no answer. Without God, there's no reason. One day the solar system goes dark and everyone dies and nothing matters. And because of that weight of that, he had turned to getting drunk. He became an existentialist, which is what that is. He became an existentialist. There's no reason, there's no rhyme, there's nothing, nothing matters, anything. And out of that, he says, out of the hopelessness, he says, let's get drunk. Because I got no answers, let's get drunk. Which by the way, it's not the answer, thank you. But it's Western civilization, right there. We started with the belief in God. That was the foundations of everything. Then we had the enlightenment period, which was there's no God and everything can be scientific method. Everything can be naturalism. And out of that now it's, you know what is God today? Pleasure, entertainment. We now have just lived this today. Right? So now people have cheered themselves with whatever. I'm gonna cheer myself with pot or, or with wine or with heroin or with meth or I'm gonna cheer myself with a bigger house or some kind of expansion or I'm gonna cheer myself with the next trinket, acquiring something. We are living 
chapter two of Ecclesiastes today. Every single one of us, right? So please get this about Solomon. He turned to pleasure, not for enjoyment. He turned to pleasure because he had nothing else worth living for. That's why he goes to pleasure for that. So he's having sex with his thousand women, not because it's pleasurable, but because he thinks maybe, maybe one of these women will give me value, worthwhileness. Maybe she'll do it for me. She'll complete me, whatever term you want to use. So that's what he's doing. But here's what he found. Pleasure can never take the weight of meaning. It's inadequate. Pleasure has a place in life, no doubt, but it can never take the weight of meaning. So what Solomon's doing, it's gotta be the next one. It's gotta be the next one. Gotta be the next one. 999, gotta be the next one. I mean, it's insane because he thinks maybe pleasure will make me feel something. Well, Matt, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not the crazy get smashed kind of person. That's not who I am, okay? Solomon's very careful in his wording. If you skip back up to verse two, here's what he says. He covers both sides. He says this, I said of laughter, it's mad. And I said of pleasure, what use is it? The two Hebrew words right there are fascinating. Laughter is madness. It's, it's crazy. It's getting smashed. It's having orgies. It's, it's that side of things. It's getting your car and, and doing brodies and whatever. It's, it's that, that's laughter. It's madness, that kind of fun. But pleasure is different. Pleasure's highbrow, buying art. Oh, my pleasure is going to art and museums and buying art. That's what I do, right? He's covering them both, both sides. Doesn't matter, right? So one is uptown. The other is totally downtown. One's highbrow. One is a hipster drinking Pabst Blue Ribbon. And the other is an elegant ball where people are drinking shots of Pappy Van Winkle. Both of them are there. He's covering both sides very carefully. One is rich people eating filet mignon. The other is rednecks in the woods burning something and eating hamburger helper out of a giant aluminum pot. It's both. And both of them, he says, lead to the same exact spot. They cannot bring meaning to my life or to your life, right? So some people, they buy art, not because they enjoy art. They buy art because they think if I buy that art, piece of art, it will make me valuable and worth something. People will see it on my wall and be like, wow, you're valuable. Wow, you're worth something. Look how expensive your wallpaper is. And we all do that at some level. We're all doing Ecclesiastes at some level. It's not because we really enjoy that thing. We're actually doing it because we're trying to derive out of it value and meaning from what we think will bring you and me pleasure. And very few of us actually think about why we do things like Solomon does until bad things happen to us. And then you end up talking to me at some point, right? Death, disease, divorce, disaster, a crisis in your life. And then you sit and think, what am I doing all this for? Why am I living this way? Oh, and Solomon does it, let's be honest, to a level that we probably can't do. Like you can't marry a thousand women anymore. You just can't do it. Even the king of Saudi Arabia, who's probably the closest thing we have, isn't even close to Solomon. He can't even do this. 
right? So Solomon does it to a level that's high. And because of that, there's still for many of us a little carrot out there that says, if I just had a little bigger this, or if I could just acquire that, right? It's still out there for most of us. If I just had one other woman, I'd be happy. Okay. Solomon's like, yeah, right. Here's his conclusion to pleasure. Look down at verse 15. Then I said in my heart, what happened to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so wise? Why am I doing this quest? Why am I working at this? Why am I trying to find these answers to life when you know what? We're all gonna die. So verse 17, I hated life. Verse 18, I hated my toil. Verse 20, so I turned about and gave my heart to despair. Solomon's conclusion when he evaluates all the pleasure you could possibly evaluate is this. I hated life, hated my job. I'm suicidal and depressed. That's his conclusion. And we replay this all the time. Do you know what a GIF is? It's that thing sometimes somebody will send you in an email and it's just a, like a couple seconds long and it's silent. And it's just somebody doing something over and over and again, Right? They say the most popular one is Michael Jackson eating popcorn. It looks like he just keeps eating popcorn over and over, over and over and over and over and over, right? That's a gift, okay? The Ecclesiastes chapter two is a gift that we replay all the time. Every one of us is gonna replay this. How pleasure will do it for me. But the conclusion is always the same. Hate life, hate my job, depressed, suicidal. And we get examples of this every once in a while. Like there'll be this person who is extremely smart, talented, has this massive rise up in stardom and then like commit suicide. It's called the Club of 27, by the way. I've mentioned it before. You can Google it. Just all these, Amy Winehouse, the most recent one, brilliant songwriter, you know, very, dead at 27, under strange circumstances. Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Hendrix. You just name it, all these people, Sucked the marrow out of life. They got to such high things at 27. They're like, that's it? I hate life. I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. <sighs> Here's the difference though. Today, I think. We have an ability today like never before in history. Like things are changing for us. I think you and I today live like ancient kings. When it comes to acquisition and pleasure and these things, we live like ancient kings. Like, like we're starting to get into this at a level never before. And I'll give you one example of this. So depression. If you go back just to the 1960s, to my mom, she grew up, you know, uh, she was in her 20s in the 1960s. In the 1960s, if you compare someone in the 1960s to somebody today, people today in America are 10 times more likely to be depressed. Similar everything. If you made two people exactly the same, put one in the 1960s and one in 2019, that person in 2019, 10 times more likely to be depressed. Now, why is that? What's happening? I just think we've sped up the gift of chapter two. And here's the other statistic that to me is stunning. The average age where people feel depressed, like go through depression, it used to be in 1960, 29 years of age. Guess what it is today? 14 and a half. It's your high school freshman. Who should be enjoying life, you think? Nope. Now, why is that? Like sociologists, if you read any kind of 
sociologists or psychologists or any kind of information on that, they're just scratching their heads like, we don't know, what, what is happening here, right? 10 times increase in depression and it's falling. The, the age that people are depressed is just 14 now instead of 29. What in the world is happening to our world? If they're asking me, I just say, we've just sped up. We've sped up the gift of chapter two, right? Like we can acquire like never before, can't we? It's called Amazon Prime. Just boom, it's at your house. You're like, ah, that was awesome for like 10 seconds. I want something else. Like it, all we've done is make this thing go faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And our culture is really geared toward making us achievement, acquisition, pleasure people. That's what it is. And it's just mapping it out faster and faster and faster and faster. And what's amazing to me is like, there's been these movements that are, are strange until you look into them. I'll give you one. So what are the 1960s known for? Free love, baby. Sexual revolution. You've got the pill. You've got no fault divorce, which meant, yeah, I don't like you anymore, so we're out. These things combine to then say, hey, we're free. Let's have sex. So it's called, you know, free sex, love revolution, whatever you want to call it. And, and it freed us from the, the bounds of marriage and all these tyrannical structures. So that was 1960s. All right. Well, you know, reported or however you want to do it, reported sex just increased. Teenage sex increased. Teenage pregnancy increased. You have all these metrics that increase. But guess what? They're all dropping right now. Did you know that? Like teen sex is dropping. Teen pregnancy is dropping. It's an all time low since 1990. Like these are massive, massive changes. Like down, 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 down. And you can be like, oh, that's awesome. That's really good. But then there's these polls. The Washington Examiner did one and Barna Group, who's a Christian group, did one as well. And so they, they started looking into why is this? And the, the answer is fascinating. Why are these things falling now? Well, the one group that's seen skyrocketing rates of pornography is young ladies. Men have always been high. Boys have always been high. But women are going up. So they're like, why are you looking at pornography? What, what's, the, what's the key here? This is their answer. They said, because real relationships are too risky. We prefer the pornography because it doesn't come with all the problems. So it's like sexual revolution. Hey, let's have sex whoever we want. Now it's like, you know what? That's too hard to have that kind of pleasure. So I just want to look at it digitally. It's like lazy pleasure now. It's crazy to me. Here's where I think we're headed to. And I'm not a prophet, but this is just what I think. I think we're headed to getting implants in your brain that you just push a button. Oh, happy button. And you'll sell billions of them. It'll be that cure to drug addiction. Just get a happy button. There's a neuroscientist who had to leave America because it's illegal to do that. And he actually went to Costa Rica and put one in his brain. Like he's feeling unhappy in the morning. He just, ah, oh, happy. And they did a study on rats where they did this to them. Put a pleasure button in their brain. And these were rats that were addicted to opioids because they were testing this. And the first button they could push would give them food. The second button would give them drugs. And the, first, the third button would give them a zap to the electrode right in their pleasure center. Guess what those rats did? They plushed, pressed number three, pleasure, until they starved to death. They wouldn't do anything else. Too hard to eat. Too hard to take drugs. I just want to press that button over and over and over and over again. To me, I think that's where we're headed. Like it's too hard to have real stuff anymore, real pleasure. You know what? I just want to have a button that makes it think I had that kind of pleasure. It won't even be a button. That's too much work. It'll be more 
more. Voice activated, more, more. Pretty soon it'll just be on this feedback loop. It'll just know what you want. Google will know what you want. You want more now? Okay, I don't, you know, it'll second guess us. Matt, you are so depressing. <laughs> it's part of my job. Depress the happy. That's the way Solomon is putting things out. And Solomon will just let you go. He's like, that's it. Chapter two done. I can't do that. I feel a certain responsibility to make sure you guys make it back here next week. So um, he does give us the answer to why in chapter three. So if you look at verse 11 in chapter three, you get one of the most unique verses in the Bible. It stands on its own. Romans eight has hints of this in it, but it is a phenomenally unique verse. And it says this, Roman, or, uh, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. What Solomon says is this. He's been exploring wisdom, pleasure, God's timing. And then he says this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. The big problem is the human heart. And the issue is this, it's capacity. How big is eternity? About that big? Right? Eternity is massive. So what Solomon is saying is this, listen, the whole problem with pleasure or even wisdom is this, it's a problem of capacity. You and I were created too big for any kind of achievement, or any kind of pleasure, or any kind of acquisition, or any kind of altered state to ever fill that eternity. They cannot, right? Even a thousand women cannot fill that eternity. They're not big enough. Because you and I, here's the thing, we're not cultured animals. So what naturalism said was this, you and I were just cultured animals. We got to the top of the heap, and all we are is just a cultured animal. We started eating meat, our brains got bigger, and so now we're just cultured animals. And since we're just cultured animals, you can act like one, pleasure, whatever it is. But everyone knows that doesn't work. Here's why. We're not just cultured animals. You and I, here's what we are. We are a mixture of heaven and earth, right? Read the creation story. The creation story is written the way it's written so that we'll understand life, understand what we are. So when God creates everything else, he speaks the suns there. He speaks the stars there. He speaks and there's a lion and a tiger and a giraffe and an aardvark. But what does he do when he comes to man? He gets his hands dirty. He goes down and he forms man out of the dirt of the earth. And then what does God do? He breathes into that formed man. And it says the man became a living nefesh, a living soul, Right? heaven and earth, dirt and God breath. Not purely naturalistic, it's a mix. Here's what I say we are. We are divine dirt bags. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> We're both, man. Some people, like they fully act like dirt bags. That's the way they live life. They're just dirt bags. And you got to remind them, bro, that's never going to do it. Ecclesiastes can't do it. You're, you got too much divine in you. It'll never make you happy. All right? The other side, 
There are people that act too divine and you gotta remind them, dude, you're a dirt bag. Take off the halo, you're a dirt bag. Come on, give me a break. Because that's what we are. We're this beautiful mix right now. And when you ignore that, you ignore it to your own demise. And that's what Solomon is saying. Listen, this is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And I always try to like, how do, you, how, do you, how, do I, how do I get us to understand like that's the human heart? That there are moments that you can sense and you can feel that makes you realize I'm more than just a dirt bag. There's something else to me. And so C.S. Lewis has this, and I'll read a little quote from it, but he has this essay on this. And he uses music. Because I think music has a, an ability like to make you feel something that you don't feel normally, Right? Doesn't music have that? Like a really good song on a beautiful spring day when the windows are rolled down and you've got it cranked up. It just, for three and a half minutes, you, for a moment, you, it's like you rise above the dirt and you get in the heavenlies for just, oh, yeah, right? But what's the problem with that song? It ends and it gets old, right? The same song can't keep doing it for you every time. At first it had the ability to open that door and crack it open so you could see through and, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But after a while, the, ho- the door gets too heavy and that same song can't open it anymore. So you got to find a new song, right? That's why there's always new songs, right? No one's listening to the songs that were popular three years ago, right? Anybody, li- someone's like, yeah, I'm listening to them. What are you talking about? Dude, I love them. <laughs> Anybody listening to, uh, here's my number, call me maybe. <laughs> Don't admit it if you are, Okay. Why? Because for a while I could crack the door a little bit, but now you're like, oh, that song is so stupid. Well, it was top, whatever, song in the universe for a while, but it lost its capacity because we're too big. Music has that ability to crack the door every once in a while, to know we're not just dirt bags, there's something else. So here's what C.S. Lewis warns us about in that essay. Here's what he says about everything in Ecclesiastes chapter two. He says this, if they pleasures are mistaken for the thing itself. They turn into dumb idols, breaking the heart of their worshipers for they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower. We have not found the echo of a tune. We have not heard news from a country. We have never yet visited. It's music we're born remembering. I love that phrase, echo of Eden. Music is not beauty, but beauty flows through it. For a moment, music strikes a chord and resonates value. See, the mistake Solomon made was this. He thought, I can find meaning and worth and value. I can feel that eternity in my heart with chapter two stuff. Acquisition, altered state, Achievement, women, but he couldn't. All those things can crack the door, but they can't ever fill the capacity. It's like this almost when it comes to pleasure. Have you heard this statement that it says, um, don't ever go shopping on an empty stomach? Now, why is that? Because you buy the whole freezer section. Why do I have seven gallons of ice cream? I don't know, but I'm hungry, right? You get empty calories, things that aren't gonna help you. They're not worth it right? It's the same thing. You can't seek after chapter two with this appetite of chapter three, verse 11, or else you go south, depression, suicide. Pleasure's not bad. Do you know that? 
I think God wants his people to be happy. First Timothy 6, 17 says this, God has given to us all things to enjoy. But the problem is this, when you're empty, when you're shopping on empty, you then look at that one thing to absolutely fulfill you and it enslaves you instead of serves you. Pleasure is a great servant. It's a terrible master. So Matt, what's the cure? Let me give you what Solomon's dad said. Because I think Solomon's dad got some things right that Solomon missed. So Solomon's dad, David, writes this psalm. It's Psalm 1611. Listen to what he says. Here's the cure. He says this, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. The path of life in the Bible is this, purpose, why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing. You give me purpose. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. That emotion, that crack door that music gives to you comes from him. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So what David found is this. David found, he's not against Ecclesiastes chapter two stuff, you know, in their right order. But the only way they get ordered is if that eternity is taken care of. If your heart's full. Well, Matt, I've been in a church a long time. I've heard this same message a bunch of times and I still struggle with Ecclesiastes chapter two. I still do these same things. I still think acquisition is gonna do it. I still take drugs for my altered state. I still look for achievement to do it. I still look at women to do it or men to do it. What about me? I think if you compare David and Solomon, you see something. And I think what you see is really important, okay? David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. He was a pursuer of Yahweh. Solomon, I'll call him this at this point in his life. He's a religious man. He built the temple. He did some good stuff there, but he's not a pursuer. He wasn't called a man after God's own heart. So David is a different kind of being than Solomon. Solomon's religious. Well, Matt, what's the difference between the two? Here's what I believe the difference is between a religious person and a pursuer of Jesus. And it's this, religious people find God useful. And usually they find God useful in trying to get Ecclesiastes chapter two stuff. God help me to acquire more. God help me to get a spouse. God help me to get a husband. God help me to whatever it is, achieve. So they're using God essentially to get more of Ecclesiastes chapter two. God's useful to me. So I come to church and I do this religious activity because I, got, I want God to give me more of Ecclesiastes chapter two. More pleasure, more joy, more this, more. God's useful. Followers of Jesus, they don't find him useful. They find him beautiful. It's a heart thing. So if you read what David wrote, you can read Psalm 27, four, he says this, one thing have I desired and that will I seek after to behold the beauty of Yahweh and to dwell in his temple. See, David found God beautiful, not useful to give him chapter two stuff. No doubt he can. David found God beautiful. And because of that, his heart was changed. What's Jesus to you? Is he beautiful? 
are useful. And it matters. See, the whole Bible says this. If God can grab your heart, the rest of you will follow. That's the deepest part of it. If I can get your heart, the rest of you will follow. If you find me beautiful, the rest of you will follow. Is he useful or beautiful? Right? It matters. Valentine's Day is coming up. Imagine you wrote a card, husband, to your wife that says, honey, wife, I find you useful. You're as useful as my DeWalt chop saw, your husband. That might be true, but you're not writing that. Because everyone knows that doesn't work. It's a hard thing. Is Jesus useful or beautiful to you? David found God beautiful and he became a man after God's own heart. And he experienced things and pleasure and joy the right way. Solomon found God useful and the end is bad. I think he ends up figuring it out. We'll get to the end of the book. But right now, God's just useful. Can you give me more of chapter one or chapter two? What is Jesus to you? So we come to the table. And at the table, you should be reminded that Jesus is beautiful. That he who knew no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God, that that eternity, that gulf between us and God, the one whose presence we actually need, like the son, that he's reconciled that gulf. That we love him because he first loved us. That's beauty. So sometimes I take communion and the one thing I do is I say, Jesus, forgive me for trying to use you to trying to get after your trust fund Forgive me for that. May I once again be captured by your love and your grace and your beauty so that I become like David. This one thing have I desired and that will I seek after. So Jesus, this day, forgive me for looking at you for what you will give me instead of for who you are and what you've already given me. Jesus, if you gave me nothing else than what you've already given me in salvation and reconciliation, in your spirit, in forgiveness, in atonement, in a future, if you gave me nothing else, I'd still be the richest man in history. Forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. May this morning as we partake in your broken body and your spent blood, may you recapture our hearts. May you be beautiful to us. And may we go from here like David, knowing you show us the path of life. In your presence, is fullness of joy. And you give us pleasures forevermore. They come from you. The door that gets kicked open reveals you. May we eat and drink that this day. Amen.